right, David Paul, thanks for uh, joining us on this conversation. You're a CEO of a hospital and just want to learn from you. Um, start with, you know, your name is David hyphen Paul Cavazos. Tell us, tell, tell us how you have two first names. Yeah, so uh, I had very indecisive parents and uh, I, I think they're both very stubborn people. And so I have no middle name and just so happens that they both wanted the names they selected for my first name. So I ended up with a hyphenated first name, David Paul, uh, sort of like John Paul. And then the yeah, last yeah. name is Cavazos. So, <laughs> and did David come first because of like alphabet, or you know that, that... I, as I as I understand it, as they as they as I've asked them years ago, they kind of what they said was they had two friends, uh, and they both liked the you know one friend named David, the other one named Paul, and I don't know how they why didn't I end up with uh, Paul David? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who, who they decided got to go first or how they decided that, but right, yeah. All right. Well, tell us by way of introduction, like a little bit about you and your family and where yeah. you're at and what you do. So I have, uh, I'm originally from Austin, Texas. I've been in healthcare for 26 years now. Um, worked in both large hospitals and small hospitals. Uh, came up in healthcare through radiology. I started out as an x-ray tech. Um, went to school for that and spent 17 years on that side of, of healthcare, radiology side. Uh, came up through the ranks to be a radiology director, and then somebody pulled me aside one day, a CEO of a hospital, and just pulled me into his office and asked me, you know, have you ever thought about being a CEO? And it just kind of floored me. I said, no, I, I never had. Uh, in my world, the radiology director was kind of the, the leader of my world, and so I'd always uh, sought to achieve that. And once I was there, I was kind of happy there. And when he suggested that, it made me think a little bit harder and went home and started looking up what it would take to get me from where I was to, to be in a CEO and went back to school to get my MBA and so on and mm. started the journey. And it was definitely a journey. Um, I had to ask my wife, you know, it was a big commitment on her part as well to decide to go through that journey, going back to school at a late age and having a family and kids. Sure. And so, um, yeah, but I, the last, the, the rest of that 26 year period has all been in the executive side. Kind of worked my way up from uh, I was CEO COO of a community-based mental health center, and then got uh, after that achieved my first CEO position. So yeah, okay, and I've, and, I've, and I've been doing that for a while now. So yeah, yeah, and I mean, you just mentioned your wife, uh, kids, pets. Yeah. Your, your yeah, life. yeah. So um, my wife is Laura, Laura Cavazos. Uh, we've been married for 17 years now, and we have three kids together, uh, Abram, Ada, and Isaac. And we have two dogs, uh, a black lab and a little rat terrier. And they're both brothers, and they're pretty convinced that they look just like each other. So <laughs> our wife's busy. But they couldn't be more different. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the interesting things about your story uh, when I met you and, and you just pointed out to it is this like evolution, which all of us like, you know, we start out in one area and we end up somewhere different. But part of yours was somebody seeing leadership in you and something that you should consider. Um, what, what was that like? Like, did that feel totally foreign? Like, yeah, that was. You know, that, that was a really big defining moment for me. Uh, I was working for a small hospital in Southeast Kansas. And at the time, the small hospital had gone through quite a few CEOs, uh, four CEOs in three years. So lots of turnover. Um, 
And I, as a radiology director, for a lot of purposes, had tried to step up to the plate and just fulfill a lot of that role in the community, try to be present, try to be uh, on as many boards and committees as I could, just really try to represent the hospital well in the community because we had so much turnover in our top leadership box. Uh, always tried to really help out any new CEO that was coming in to just give them a lay of the land, let them know, you know, how we interacted with other community hospitals around us, how the community perceived us, our relationships with the physicians, things like that. And one of them just pulled me aside and said, you know, you should really consider doing this. And hmm. I hadn't up until that time, but um, it seemed to be a national, uh, a natural progression. You know, once, once you get, once you reach a ceiling somewhere, if you're ambitious, you kind of think to yourself, okay, where to go now, right? What's, mm -hmm. what's the next what's the next great achievement? And that was definitely it. And you know, it's, it can be very hard looking from the bottom upwards because you don't, you think you often question the decisions of the people above you, right? You're an ambitious person. You might think I, I can do that better. That person's making the wrong decision, you know, or I can make do a better job than they're doing. And then you get up to the top box or to the top seat and you're like, some days I don't want this job, <laughs> you know, uh, you, the stressors, the responsibility, the, you know, in leadership, unfortunately, you're often a public figure, you're often responsible for perception, which is very hard these days. Perception is a big part of reality these days. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird because it didn't used to be that way, right? It used to be that, that it wasn't, that it, it wasn't, it wasn't fact until it was provable. It's right. not that way anymore. You know, we have so many people in our work environment that if something is perceived wrongly, it suddenly becomes fact. It doesn't matter whether it was true or not, you know. And and as the figure of the hospital, uh, you may have you may have an, a night nurse who you've never met working the night shift in the ER who happens to steal meds, and the community may come down hard on you for it to say, well, why didn't you know about that? Mm -hmm well, what are you doing to stop that, you know? Um, and she might have already been fired. She might have even been fired a year ago, and this may just be coming to light. Um, it's it's those kinds of things that you are responsible for all of the actions. Sometimes you get credit for the good ones, but most times you you get credit for the bad ones, you know, <laughs> just the face of the hospital, so. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, even just the part of your story where, there's a, a rotating door of CEOs and you felt responsible to, to be involved in the community. Where's that like sense of, I mean, it sounds like a civic responsibility, but uh, another way to think of it is that, you know, it's part of the responsibility for that we have and the freedom that we have to participate in our community. Where's, where's that come from for you? Is like something you were learned or challenged to, to grow in or. Yeah. I think for me, it came from some of the early struggles of my life when, when I was uh, early in my marriage. Um, there were a couple of times when I was part of certain organizations and things had gotten difficult. And so if you ever have to go through a layoff or you ever have to go through, you know, a job loss. Uh, and I just really developed this sense of responsibility that if, if I was standing on a boat, I was going to do everything I could to make sure that boat did not sink. Um, for instance, in, in those early days of me being a radiology director, one of the biggest things I saw was that in our community, we had aging physicians, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, but because we had such high turnover in CEOs and, and these physicians were not employed by the hospital, they interacted very well with hospital, but they were all in the community and private practice. So one of the things I first saw was that, well, our physicians were all aging, were either at retirement age or within retirement age of, of three years or less. We we need new doctors, but the CEOs that were coming in just didn't really consider it a priority, right? And they certainly didn't want to spend money on it. Um, so I told this one CEO, I said, um, I, I found this conference for new residents coming out of the, the local university uh, for to expand their horizons into rural, rural healthcare, right? It was a there were it was a two day conference, uh, one in one city, another one in another city. So Wichita and Kansas City, right for Kansas, and it was three hundred dollars. And I went to her and I said, "Hey, can I have a budget of three hundred dollars? Just give me this. I'll cover my own gas. I just want to go out there." And she kind of looked at me like I was silly because it wasn't a priority for the hospital to recruit physicians. Right? None of the physicians in town were employed; they were all independent. And she said, "Okay." So she granted me that. I went. We set up a booth for the hospital. Um, handed out a ton of business cards. And there I was a radiology director, right? Handing out business cards, trying to get names and phone numbers of residents that might be interested of coming to our community, talking to them about it. I took brochures and all this stuff. Uh, and uh, strangely enough, went to the conference that year, didn't go the second year, went back the third year, because in the midst of all this, we also were building a new hospital. And the reason why I didn't go the second year was because uh, the new hospital that we built we then were responsible that year for basically transitioning to the new building and all that that entailed, moving mm -hmm. to the new site and location and everything. So I didn't make it the second year. Third year, I go back and one of the residents that I met, the first time I went, he was a first year and not interested in finding a place to land. But by the time he was a third year, he was like, oh, hey, yeah, I remember you, Dave Fong, because I had two names. <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, you, know, you were telling me all about your hospital. He's like, yeah, well, now that he's a third year, he's interested in he needs to figure out a place to land when he gets out of school. So, you know, ended up signing him. Um, actually, we, we worked on recruiting two. We ended up signing one. That worked out. He's a wonderful addition to the community. I think he's still there now. Um, he moved his family out there, and it was just a really great fit. But even seeing that, that's kind of my whole attitude about it. As long as I am see a problem, I don't want to be going on a boat. I don't want to be going down on a boat that's sinking, right? I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that boat is going to survive, that that boat is going to stay afloat and it has a future. Um, that's just, that's just the kind of person I am. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. And you have such a, that sense of community though is, um, I don't know, sometimes absence or maybe sometimes we just don't realize when we like in your field, like caring about health and patients, involves the community like that's that's what you're caring for it's not just individuals it's us as a community as a whole right and so well for me as a radiology director director back then i was so one of the things i was really keyed into was volumes right you lived you know if, if you if you have a high volume department it actually does does better right you have lots of cts lots of mris lots of x-rays coming through people are happy lots of revenue falling through the place um but if you have a low volume department well what dictates your volume? The physicians. If you have all physicians that are close to retirement in the next three years, your budget's going to drop, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to see the train coming down the tracks before it runs you over and realize I need more physicians. That's mm -hmm. why I took it upon myself to then go out and recruit physicians. Um, it's just, you know, it just so happened that work. Lots of great things fell into place. I wasn't the only one. Um, I had lots of people helping me and supporting me along the way, which was really good. But I think I've never liked to be run over 
by a, an issue, right? You always want to see it coming before it hits and do the most that you can to either avoid it or or move beyond it. So, yeah, that's good. Just leadership. So, well, talk about you mentioned the the rule uh, part to it. Like you made this move from the Kansas City area out to where you are now. Talk about that and what drove that decision for you. Like, how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, you know, it was it was I'm I'm guilty of when I was in the urban setting, when I was in Kansas City in the city life, uh, my experience there was all large hospital experience. And I'm guilty of never even thinking about or acknowledging the rural area. I never lived in a rural area before, so it was never it was never on my radar, um, which was strange because the rural area is great. Um, there's there's just a ton of opportunity out there. The, the communities are fantastic. The people are good. They're welcoming. It varies from place to place, but on a whole, uh, it's a pretty good place to to make your life. Um, and so the opportunity is what took me out there. You know, if you think about it, as you move up into management director level, let's say your average city, maybe it has five large hospitals, decent size. Okay, so once you're, you're looking at a director level position or higher, it's five jobs in the whole city, right, that you can apply for. Okay, well, they probably already all have directors. So now you're looking at, okay, who's in those seats and how close are they to retirement? How long can I wait? Mm -hmm. Based on that, then you have to decide how far are you willing to go for for an opportunity for the title, right? Well, I ended up getting a position at a, at a rural hospital. I, I had never even heard of this place before. I didn't know. And it's funny, it was only like an hour and a half outside the city, right? Mm -hmm. I was just limited in my thinking, um, but I went down, interviewed, saw the town, saw the community, saw the hospital, fell in love with it. It was a town and community were great to my family and I, they were a great place to start a family. And so it was good. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, I feel like all of our stories kind of have that, like we happen upon certain things that expands our, our thinking, our, uh, our experience. Um, and I mean, it almost sounds like it changed the scorecard for you of what like success looked like. Cause you, when you talk about raising a family, like mm -hmm. what was like, was it, was it the scorecard? Was it that like, you felt like success was going to be a big hospital and being in a city. Um, yeah. And then that, that shifted now, or was it just, I don't know. How would you, you, you know, I, I think it was, I, I think the scorecard definitely did change. I think success is different for everybody. And I also think it depends on what point in life you're at. You know, um, when you have a family, for most people, your concerns are different. They're not as they were when you were young and single. Yeah. When you're young and single, you may not think about anything at all. You might just go about your day, living your life and, and being happy with that. Um, but you get a family and you want certain things for them. You know, some of those things are safety and security. Mm -hmm. Some of those things are good people to be around in a nice life you know yeah uh, in the cities in the urban areas it's, it can be very difficult and costly to get those things right to find a good place a nice environment to find uh, good neighbors even you know that that can be a hard thing to find these days uh, in the rural areas you have a lot more opportunity to just be welcomed and by good people uh, not that you can't find that in the city uh, but it's just easier. I think a lot of a lot of people who live in cities, again, I, I say I was guilty of this, don't realize how much value there is in the rest of their states in terms of the rural area. For one, just scenery wise, it's beautiful uh, in most rural areas, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and the 
I think there's a lot of people in the rural areas that are still incredibly welcoming to many people, you know, um, because you can find rude people anywhere. <laughs> the cities are full of rude people. You know, you can go to a coffee shop in the city and be treated snotty and just have a bad interaction with somebody. It's not the end of the world, you know. <laughs> but rural place, rural communities on a whole are really fantastic places to raise families. So, yeah, that's cool. So one of the things that I just I find fascinating about your journey and and many of ours, like we can kind of trace them back to these defining moments where someone saw something in us that we didn't or presented something as possible that previously we were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know maybe I could do that or that I would even maybe want to do that. Um, talk about how that, now that that's happened, now you're a CEO of this hospital and you like raising a family there and that, but how has that changed or influenced the way you look at the people that work for you now? Yeah, I think I, you always want to help people in the way that you were helped out, right? And I think as an industry, one of the, the most common factors that's, a, 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 I don't know if you want to call it a complaint, but it's just a its just a, a trial that we're going through as an industry right now, which is a shortage in workforce, right? Mm -hmm. So that shortage in workforce has caused us to have to look into a lot of places we may not have looked before. Before, you might have used to have thought of things in terms of a job. Well, okay who around you or with you or in your area would look at things in terms of career or is interested in career? Okay, now let's take it a step further. What about that term succession planning, right? Succession planning, the idea that you are thinking ahead and selecting people underneath you to eventually move up. Mm -hmm. Who would be the right fit for that? Who has the ambition? Who has the willingness? Because often it does take something extra, maybe a certification, maybe some schooling, maybe some whatever, right, to, to get them to where you need them to be sure. um, are they willing to make the journey you know do they and probably the one of the worst things that we have right now amongst our young people is a lack of of uh of being able to see down the long term yeah. young people these days are so, are so short-sighted you know they, they are they just and and again you stamp me with with that label for when i was younger you know i was very short-sighted retirement what was that Mm -hmm. Why would I need that? You know, I was not concerned with that at all. Um, but the thing is, you do live, you do get older, you do want to do something different in 10 years than what you were doing, you know, now at this point in time, you want to achieve more, you want to, you want your career to grow, you want to turn what what is a job right now into a career. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you started working at this doctor's office answering the phone there as a, as a young lady and do you have the potential to one day be practice manager? Maybe, maybe you do, you know. Um, probably the number one thing that you're missing is experience, you know, and, and staying and working with a facility, getting more, accepting more responsibility, being in charge of things, helping people with things, just being that type of person that is about helping the facility to grow and get better. And you can move up in anything, you know. Hmm. Uh, and, and experience matters, experience is great. Um, there are still many things that can't be taught at the end of the day you have to arrive with a certain skill set and and some of that is just work ethic and drive yeah that can't be taught you know that's interesting um because you know there's something about like when you talk about being young which for sure i was guilty of in the same way being short-sighted and then that experience is so important being short-sighted has us like 
short change or undervalue what experience really does because we just you can't just get a title or you can't just get experience you just have to be willing to go through it right. and that's where ambition and drive come in to like to see down the road that this could turn into this will turn into experience even if it doesn't turn into the job that i necessarily want or where i'll stay forever um so i guess that's a long a, a short-sighted thing is to think we'll, we'll always be in the same spot forever like life's yeah. change us I, you know i agree with that and i think that um i never would have thought when i was an x-ray tech that i would even be a ceo I would have laughed at you. I would have, you know, quit talking to you and said, you're, you're foolish. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and it was never even a want though, for me in those days, you know, for me being an x-ray tech as a single guy covered all my bills and get laid me, uh, left me a little bit of money at the end. And I was happy with that. You right. Know? Right. Um, having a family seems to do a funny thing to people, whether it's you're a male or female, it doesn't really matter, but but the opportunity to, to care for others, I think really places a sense of responsibility on most people. And that's when they do a lot of their growing and deciding and thinking, gosh, you know, how can I make more? How can I obtain more? How can I provide more? Mm. Uh, that, that's a natural feeling that many people have. And that's who, you know, well, when you're young and you're mad at your boss, some people will contemplate just getting up and walking out the door. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you get older, you get a family. And if you if you're mad at your boss, you hope that you're not mad at him when you come back on Monday because you're going to come back on Monday and clock in again, you know. Yeah, the job. Uh, it's a different mindset, you know. But I think so many people these days are are adverse to challenge. They're adverse to difficulty and and learning and just the the difficulty breeds experience. It does, you know. Hardship breeds experience. It, it usually will make you stronger. It will usually improve you in some way or form. You know, usually you'll learn from it. And many people these days, they a little bit of difficulty and they're they're out. You know, they're they're checking out. They're quiet quitting. And they're on the internet looking for their next job. And yeah, so one of the the interesting ways thinking about like just that CEO that asked you to consider that thought, like you could be a CEO someday, like that, like he gave you vision in that moment for a future you hadn't previously considered. How do you how do you try to keep doing that now? Like how do you do that for the younger people that are working for you? How do you help them see? A future that they haven't considered for themselves and can can be the future CEOs that we'll need. So some people are ready uh, to have the talk. Some people are are waiting for that spark for somebody to light that spark in them. Uh, some people are the are are not ready, but they're but it's it's kind of like breaking the ice. You know, some people are willing to have the conversation, um, but they just don't see themselves in that spot yet. You know. Uh, and, and I think you never know whose life you're going to touch as you go through your day, you know, and, and I think one of the greatest things you can do for somebody is to inspire them to, uh, you know, light that spark in them to want to go further. Sure. Um, if, if you have a good employee, they'll want to move up, you know, and, and even if they don't want to move up, but just change in their responsibility level, you know, most good employees grow. You just do you know uh it's like a plant or an animal or anything else you know they 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 grow uh, the people that are just passing through that are just with your facility or organization for a season that's okay we have a lot of that in healthcare right now hmm. with with our with our staffing uh issues that we've had unfortunately there's been a big turn in the industry towards uh agency staffing right 
and the high cost that, that comes with that. But that's created a whole transient workforce. Mm. Right? Um, one, of the, one of the things I was thinking about the other day, for a while there was this big thing, and I don't even know if it's still a thing anymore, but an app that workers can get on and see who's paying the highest price right now. And, and based on that app, they can decide where they want to work for the day. Right? Jeez, yeah. And that doesn't really work for healthcare. I think people who consider themselves or call themselves innovators want it to work for healthcare. But look at this from a patient perspective, you know, for a moment. Uh, think about this. You're coming into a hospital for a surgery. Maybe we'll have the surgery today. Maybe we won't because we don't know which nursing staffs are going to take our our pricing bid that we have out there. Um, and, you know, you, you can't, all, not every facility can be the highest paid facility in the industry, right? We can't right. all pay the highest amount or that doesn't make sense, right? And there is no highest paid. Right. So the nurses, the, 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 the workers are probably going to go where the highest paid bid is, okay? Well, then if you don't get any nurses for that day, then how do you do the surgery? You know, how do you see the patients? Oh, we're going to have to reschedule your surgery. I mean, it just doesn't work for the patient. It works for the individual. Um, the worker. The, the, individual the, worker. the worker. It does. It works for the worker. as a Because healthcare is not, although you do have some healthcare systems, hospitals, institutions that are for profit, mm -hmm. as a business, on a whole, it's mostly a non-for-profit industry, right? It's mostly the idea is that the money goes back into the system, thereby providing resources for additional services or better services, right? Or to support the services. And so when you're looking at, and, and healthcare is different. It's different from providing a product, right? Let's say it, it's even a weird model, though, if you, if you, let's look at grocery stores and milk, right? Let's make it really simple and say, let's say that you live in an, in a, suburban area and there are three major groceries in your suburban area next to your house mm -hmm. okay but there was this new app that's created by the dairy guys and they say well whoever's going to pay the most for our milk that's where we'll deliver the milk so you go to one grocery store no milk there you go to the second one no milk there the the, uh, the third grocery store they set the highest price so they got the milk delivery for the day well the other two are now out right they're they're just empty right. negatives no, no milk volume. That's lousy. That's a lousy way to, to have your grocery store, right? You, you have some products and not others. Well, it's a lousy model for healthcare as well. It doesn't work. You know, you need, you need those people that are willing to be reliable and show up. You need those people that are willing to commit themselves to the idea of helping people for the day, um, to be a part of the industry, to make a life out of it, to, to have a sense of responsibility towards the greater good. That's what you need. The hired gun, you know, that's just coming in because they're getting paid X number of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's that's where I think, yeah, I think feel like you just hit the nail on the head because it, I mean, it ties back to what you were saying earlier, this sense of responsibility you've had. You don't want the ship to go down. But that particular model for healthcare fragments the community in that sense. It would happen anywhere. But yeah, that it's going, no, 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 like this is about building your life and being right. connected somewhere and having consistency and having relationship. And there's just so much more. What, what's interesting though, while that there's a lot of healthcare specific there, like every organization's facing what almost feels like an arms race. Like 
highest pay, best benefits, highest pay, best benefits. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like then we're going to get those results. We're going to get the people that want those things. Right. So what would you suggest to CEOs across the board? Like, how do you, how do you keep trying to figure that out to maybe get out of the arms race and, and <sighs> offer different? Yeah, I would say the number one thing I would suggest is, and this is probably going to be funny and it's, it doesn't make a very good um, catchphrase, but not to give up hope. And, mm-hmm. and here, here's, here's why, because there are still good people out there. There are still good people that do feel a sense of responsibility towards the greater good that are willing to show up when other people say, well, I'm not getting paid enough, so I'm going to leave. Right. right? And it doesn't really matter whether we're talking about a surgery department or a coffee shop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if do you want do you want ten people working in your surgery room, the operating room that you're getting ready to go into for the day, that have worked together for the last three to five years, that are well are well oiled machine, that know what they're doing, that have a lot of experience, mm-hmm. uh, and that make a great surgery team, or do you want? 10 different people each day working together because we're in a, in a hired gun type of society. And, you know, the, none of these guys have ever worked together and that's the team you're getting, you know, you don't yeah. want that. Nobody wants that, you know, uh, whether you're, you're working at a coffee shop or whether you're the people with experience and a team mentality that work together for the larger purpose, always deliver a better product. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether, you know, go ahead. No, that's no, that's just like, yeah, like that. No one wants it. And yet, you know, it's just one of the ways we talk about this in our work with cultures is it all boils down to the, the human side of it. Like you said, operating room or coffee house, we operate out of we're emotional and we either operate out of a fear that's focused on ourselves or a love that's the greater good. And so often if we can just slow down and make a conscious choice around love, mm-hmm. it changes everything. Yeah. It has the ability to to not give up hope. Like you said, like that can sound maybe cheesy or not an answer but that really is it right focus on the the good that you want to see not the bad that just seems to kind of cloud our our vision constantly every day of our lives well tell me one um i always like to end with asking like what's what's one leadership book that you would recommend um to everybody what's a book you've been reading that you're like everyone should put this on the top of their list uh, so I'm reading a book right now called Execution, uh, and the authors are Larry Bossidy and Ram Sharan, and um, the two CEOs, they did a lot of CEO consulting back in the 90s, uh, somewhat in the, in the late 80s, um, but the book is really centered around leadership and their ability to actually execute the vision, right? Mm-hmm. Or let's say we're increasing patient satisfaction scores or we're building a new surgery wing or we're doing this or we're doing that. Can you execute on that? How do you go about that? Nobody is a one man show. Nobody is, you know, if you're building a new surgery wing, you didn't build the surgery wing. (laughs) You didn't, Um, you know, there's, you must have a team with you. It's so important that your team is, is understanding of the mission that they're committed to it. And that mission being um, whatever, you know, whatever business you're in, whether you're working at a car dealership, right? Mm-hmm. You want to sell 200 cars by the end of the month. Everybody on your team has to be committed to that, right? Nobody has to take their job in a lax way. Everybody must take their job seriously and it can't be a joke for them. You know, it's, and that's, 
that's a that's a big thing you know finding the right people to be on your team you might think well I can just train anybody to sell a car that might be true but you get a lot further when you have the right people selling cars you know yeah. um, you get a lot further building something or growing something or running a large organization when you have the right people working with you yeah and so that's how you can that's how you end up executing your vision that's how in two years you go from I want to build a new surgery wing to you're cutting the ribbon on a new surgery wing yeah well the interesting thing that you're talking about like the it's called execution but it in many ways is about leadership it's helping generate a view of the future that's going to take all of us and it's getting people to commit to that and feel inspired by it and that we can all accomplish this thing whether it's a sales goal or a new hospital wing or a startup um that's cool well david paul we try to keep these short and sweet and conversational. We could talk about a bunch of other things, but I appreciate you just taking time uh, to hang out and, and share your insights with us and, um, and share this book. Ram Sharan, I read a, a quote of his years ago. It was about like apprenticeship as a new way of seeing leadership development. How do we help people embrace it? And yeah, you know, just developing the people uh, around us the way others have developed us, spoken to our lives and helped us get here. So yeah yeah absolutely there's um I, i've got other books on leadership i've got i've got um i i love simon sinek and the stuff that he has uh yeah. i actually really like jocko wilnick too if you know who he is mm -hmm. um and, and there's a lot of good there's a lot of good guys out there who who have leadership books uh i do think there is something to be said for people from the past who have built large companies, large organizations, you know, really done some great achievements. How did they do it? What did they find? What helped them to turn a failing organization around? And I, I don't really find that it's individual to an industry, you know, it's, it's a, it's a model and it's a method. Um, and so, yeah, I just, that, that's the kind of stuff that I like, I guess I'm, I drank the Kool-Aid and I'm fully bought into it. Right. And you're living it. So that's even better. All right, man. Well, yeah. Dave Paul, thanks for your time. Thanks for what you're doing in Jetmore, Kansas, uh, leading the hospital and being involved in your community and challenging and, and inspiring the rest of us to, to take a little more responsibility in that way. Um, so appreciate your time. Sounds really good. Kevin, thank you. It's always good to talk with you. 